have the Evangel app already open, keep it open if you want to, and you can follow along uh, with our Sunday scriptures this morning. All of the announcements that Pastor Tim just gave you are in there, a bunch of information about various events, and then, of course, uh, the scripture that we're going to look at this morning. So, here we go. We're going to jump into that now. We've been doing this series called Real Life, Real World, Real God. And it's looking at the different letters that are written in our Bibles, part of the New Testament, after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, it, these, are, these are letters that are written by different disciples, different leaders, who wrote them to some of the very first churches, the earliest Christians in the various places that, that there were churches being born. And so we've been taking time and looking at these letters because these letters are part of our sacred text. They're very meaningful to us. They are God's word to us, and we're grateful for that. At the same time, they were actually letters written from real people to real people who were living real lives in a real world and trying to figure out how do you serve a real God in that. And so we're taking time uh, for several months this year just looking at some of those letters and seeing what they have to say. So we've been working through the letter that's called James. And we've been doing that the last two weeks. We're going to finish it today. I just wanted to take a little bit of extra time with James and because uh, it's a little bit longer. And so we said that the letter of James is written by a guy named James. There you go. Just check and see if anybody's listening. Okay. So the letter of James is written by. There you go. And James is the brother of Jesus. And James is also a leader, a really highly respected leader of the Christian church. And he's based in Jerusalem. So the very first churches, you know, they started in Jerusalem. People became believers in Jerusalem. Then persecution hit. They got scattered. And James stayed. He stayed in Jerusalem. And from that place, he's writing a letter to Christians, a lot of them that he knows. And and they're in new places. And they're trying to figure out how to live their life and how to follow Jesus in these new places. So these are people that are already very, very familiar with Christian teachings. They know what the foundation is. They already understand that. They don't have any weird um, teaching that's coming in and messing them up. This letter is more about James encouraging them to put their faith into practice. He's like, you need to put your faith into practice. And so he just keeps going back to the basics. And some of it is the basics that Jesus taught. So we said that when James wrote this letter, he had a couple of basic assumptions that were part of the whole thing. James assumes that faith is demonstrated in real life. Faith is proven, it's walked out, it's demonstrated in our real lives. And, and, and James also assumes that God is at work in real life. So he assumes our faith is proven in real life, that God is at work in real life, and that God is relevant to all of real life. So James is one of my favorite teachers because he's a very what's the point teacher. He just wants, listen, what's the point? What is it that we're trying to do? He just goes, don't even, just don't. Don't even tell me about your spirituality and about your depth of your holiness and all of that. Don't tell me about your spirituality if it's not going to impact how you live on Wednesday. He's very, what's the point? What are you doing with it? James is the guy that said faith without works is dead. And he's the guy that says religion or faith that isn't demonstrated or proven in the real world. He said that's useless. That's who James is, very practical. However, however, 
On the other hand, James is, is, is he's, he's constantly aware that he's living within God's story. Constantly aware that he's living within God's story. So he's not just some guy that goes, listen, we don't need God. Just ditch the spiritual. It's all about the practical. He's not doing that. Yes, he, because he, he's like, if you're going to do that, well, then you're just a, trying to be a good person. And, and our faith is much, much bigger than just trying to be a good person. And so James did say, faith without works is dead. But I think it would also be safe to say that James might also have said, works without faith is at best trying to earn God's approval, or at its worst, works that have no faith attached, that's just legalism. There's no room for mercy. There's no room for grace. There's no room for faith at all in that. And so, so he's about both. He's, he says faith and works, they need to go hand in hand. They need to be intertwined. They need to, to work together. And, and what we believe and our relationship with God should impact how we live, and how we live should be considered in the context of we are part of God's story, okay? So James is always aware that we're living within God's story. And if it's God's story, then there are some underlying realities and some principles that are part of the whole thing. So we're going to look at a couple of those today. So one of those principalities, one of those underlying realities that, that impacts everything is what James calls the royal rule. Now, I feel that if you're going to really give that the weight it deserves, you need to say that with depth and resonance like this, the royal rule, like that, okay? So, I'd like you to give that a shot this morning. Okay, ready? One, two, three, the royal, I think you could do it with a, I think you could do better, okay? Just take a deep breath, you know, maybe just move your arms a little bit, get some Room for air in there. Deep breath and just relax your vocal cord. One, two, three. The royal rule. Okay? So James is talking about the royal rule. And, and he calls it the royal rule because Jesus made the rule. And it's Jesus' kingdom. So Jesus gets to call it the royal rule. And so that's what James calls it. Now you have to remember, in this real letter that was written to real people, the actual context, the actual thing that was happening at that time was there was a lot of discrimination happening between rich and poor people. And so that is the specific context of what he's saying. And you're going to see reference to that. But he's also bringing out this whole underlying principle of the royal rule, which, which impacts everything and is much broader than just the relationship between rich and poor. So, so here's what he says in James chapter 2, verse 8. And I'm looking at the message today. You do well when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures. Love others as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and you stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring others. The same God who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you go ahead and murder, do you think your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No. You're a murderer, period. Verse 12, talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets us free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind 
mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Now, let's just, let's just talk this through, okay? Starts off by saying, you do well when you complete the royal rule of Scripture, which is, what is it? Love others as you love yourself, okay? Turn the person beside you and go, love others as you love yourself. Go ahead, tell them, okay? This is it. This is the supreme rule. This is the thing. This is the basis. This is the source of all the other rules that have to do with our relationships and with how we connect with other people. This is the basis of all of it. This is the summation of it all. It is the royal rule. Love others as you love yourself. And if you go, well, I don't know. I don't know if I like James very much. Well, actually, Jesus said it. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, somebody came up to him and said, Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? And Jesus said two things. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, and it's the first on any list. But there's a second to set alongside of it, Jesus said. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. Love God, love people. That's the basis of all of it. That's the foundation of all of it. All of it. Okay? That's the basis. So when it comes to people and how we treat them, the basis of that and the foundation of everything, all the underlying principle all the time is... Love others as you love yourself, okay? All the other behavior rules, all the do's and don'ts that you see in Scripture, all the things that say this is how you need to behave. Don't engage in sexual immorality. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't all those things. All of that is tied up in love others as you love yourself. Don't damage people. Don't hurt people. Love them. And and then in case the words of James aren't enough for you, and in case the words of Jesus aren't enough for you, well, it's in Romans as well. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, Don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love that you owe each other. When you love others... You complete what the law has been after all along. The law code, don't sleep with another person's spouse, don't take someone's life, don't take what isn't yours, don't always be wanting what you don't have, and any other don't that you can think of, finally adds up to this. You ready? Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others, when you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. Some of you are getting annoyed right now because you're hoping, well, that just can't be it, okay? So, so I'm going to help you pass your annoyance, turn to the person beside you again, and just say, love others as you love yourself. Okay? Now, does that mean then Anything goes. 
we can do whatever we want. Anybody can do whatever they want. We're just going to tolerate everything. There's no more standards. We're just going to live and let live. Is that what that means? No. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that we all need to take a good, hard, genuine look at our own hearts before we start calling out other people's sins. We need to take a genuine, hard, deep, open look at our own hearts before we start calling out what we think is wrong in other people's lives and calling out their sins and confronting them. Because listen, this is the thing. We don't have the right to set love aside. We don't have that right. Even when we're taking a stand. Or even when somebody trips and falls, or is really messing up. We just don't have the luxury of setting love to one side. And can I just tell you, there have been a very few times, a very few times in my life, in the positions that I hold sometimes, where I have been put in the position of, of, you know, something must be done. Something is wrong, and something must be done, and it's the pastor's job or whatever to be the one to deal with it. And there have been just a very, very few times when I have been called on and I just know I have to, I have to do it. And I got to talk to somebody. I got to call them to repentance or I need to confront something that's happening or deal with something. And, and I just want you, I hate that. It's, it's horrible. I, I don't like doing it at all. I don't get any joy at all. And I remember in one particularly difficult one when I had to do that years ago, one particularly difficult one, it was just, just awful, and I had to just call something and go, this is not okay. I remember driving home after this meeting, and I actually had to pull over the car because I was crying so hard I just couldn't even see through my tears because of the grief and the pain of it all and grieving so deeply in my own heart to have to, to have to do that. And can I just tell you, thank God that I grieved like that. Thank God that we grieve when somebody, somebody is messed up and there's something, I mean, even in those moments when a line has to be drawn, even in those moments when, 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 when something has to be said, when destructive or sinful behavior has to be dealt with, we should be deeply grieved as we do that. We should be deeply grieved at the pain and at the loss and at the destruction of sin. And we should be the first ones getting in line to see what can we do to rescue somebody and to renew them and to help them find healing and to help them get on back, get back on track. Because when it comes to, 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 to how we deal with people, we are part of God's story. And the biggest rule and the biggest principle when it comes to people is love them. Love them. That is the biggest rule. There are no exceptions. There are healthy boundaries. Absolutely. There are moments when we need to make wise decisions. There are processes of of forgiveness sometimes that we have to walk through. There are processes of keeping ourselves safe and in, in good space and being in a healthy space. Sometimes there's a need for healing, and sometimes there's a time for some separation that needs to happen, but not hate and not bitterness. And and not even, you know, just as a general rule, not even just tolerance. 
I mean, can I just, I'm Canadian. I've been Canadian since before I was born. I'm proud to be Canadian. I love Canada. I love this nation that I live in. And Canada really prides itself on being tolerant, right? That's our word. We're very tolerant. You know, followers of Jesus, we're not tolerant. We don't tolerate people. We love people. We love people. That's what we're called to do. We, we are called to love each other, and we are called to love people. It's this underlying principle, this absolute reality that is part of being part of God's story. And James says that this commandment is royal. It's the royal rule. It's the one that sums up all the others. It's absolutely foundational. So he says in verse 12, talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule, the same rule, that royal rule, that sets us free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. This law, this rule of loving people, is going to serve as the standard that, that by which our own speech and our own actions are going to be judged, okay? This manner of speaking and doing in a way that comes from love and in a way that comes from kindness and mercy and grace, it has to be a way of life. And if we move outside of that rule in the way we deal with people, if we move outside of that rule of loving people and we refuse to make it the foundation of our own speech and our own action, then we're moving ourselves outside of that rule as well. Now, we're never, we're never going to get it perfect. But when God looks at our actions and when he looks at our words and when he looks at the way we live our lives, he doesn't just look on the outside. He's going to look deep. He's going to look deep. And he's going to look at what's going on in our hearts He's going to look at what's going on in our attitudes. Are we merciful? Are we loving? Are we full of grace even at times when we're not compromising? Are we still filled with grace? Or are we judgmental? Or are we cold? Or hateful? Or unforgiving? It's not easy, is it? It's a heart issue. It's an examine yourself issue. It's a repent quickly when you need to issue. And sometimes over and over and over again. And in the end, it's a relationship with God issue. In the end, it's a reflection of living close to God. And it's a reflection of how close we are to God, which is also, by the way, an underlying principle in this letter that James writes. So earlier in this letter, James had talked about um, being double-minded, you know, asking God for wisdom. And then when God gives wisdom, going, mm, 
I don't know if I really like that wisdom. I'm not too sure about it. You know, kind of claiming a relationship with God, but not all in. You know, kind of one foot, hey, I'm in with God, but I'm just going to be over here for this bit. And hey, I'm with God, and now I'm over here. Instead of being both feet in with God. James talks about being double-minded. By the way, he compares that to adultery, by the way, going back and forth like that. And then James talks in his letter also about this need for humility. He talks about uh, this need for humility, and he says, you know, often when we're struggling with people or we're having difficulties in our relationships, often the root of that and what's happening is there's a lack of humility in our own lives. And he says, and this, this is the cure. Come near to God. Having a hard time loving people? Having a hard time with humility, having a hard time trying to have your own attitudes and your own heart with it. The answer, the cure for that is come near to God. Not try harder, not make more rules, not go, oh, I'm going to love that person if it kills me. Not like that. The cure for it all is to come near to God. It's to love God, as Jesus said was the first commandment. It's to love God, to come near to a God who is generous and a God who is wise and a God who is merciful and a God who is forgiving, to come near to that God because he's longing to make us all those things as well. Loving and merciful and generous and wise and forgiving. And God is longing for an exclusive, committed friendship with you. He's longing for a close, deep relationship with you, with all who are made in his image. And so James, you know, this this master of practicality, this don't tell me about your spirituality unless you're walking it out on Wednesday, this guy who's just all about real life, James, this, this practical, pragmatic, down-to-earth, call, he, he, he comes to this distinctly non-practical, highly spiritual instruction. Chapter 4, verse 7, this is what he says. Surrender to God. Resist the devil, and he will run from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Clean up your lives, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you people who can't make up your mind. Be sad and sorry and weep. Stop laughing and start crying. Be gloomy instead of glad. Be humble in the Lord's presence, and he will honor you. Get as close to God as you can. Get as close to God as you Make time for it, even when you're busy. Be intentional about it, regularly, intentionally, consciously surrendering to God, whether you feel like it or not. Um, resist, resist the devil. He says, you know, don't mess around with what you know is going to mess you up. 
Don't just put one foot in this camp and one over here and just kind of play around and mess around and go, oh, I can't believe that messed me up again. Resist that. Resist the sin. Resist the devil. And he will flee. Clean up your life. Get your heart right. And if when you're doing all of that and we're walking through this process of, of looking at our own hearts, if what you find on the inside isn't pretty, first of all, welcome to humanity. And second of all, don't cover it up and don't ignore it and just hope that it will go away. If what you find on the inside when you really look and you get honest about it isn't very pretty, maybe grieve a little bit and maybe just stop and get a little bit serious about that and go, that is, that is true. That's what's happening inside of me and get and, and, and repent and turn away from that and be in God's presence with humility. And God will honor you. And God will lift you up. And God will shape you into the person that he wants you to be. He's going to shape you and he's going to keep you so close to him that his priorities are going to become yours. He's going to mold you into the kind of person that reflects Jesus. This is what it means to live in God's story. Our faith is proven, it's demonstrated in real life out there. But it's born and it's shaped and it's developed in private, very prayerful moments away from what everybody else can see in here. Proven out there, born in here. And so James, this this down-to-earth, very practical guy, this real-life, everyday guy, he calls us to this incredible depth that is part of living in God's story. And he calls us to this depth of, of closeness to God. And he calls us to have this depth of closeness to God that will lead us into an incredible depth of love and mercy for people until it just becomes part of our lifestyle, part of how we talk and how we live. So we're going to end that way this morning, making some space for this. James chapter 4 verse 7 in the message says it this way. Let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God. And he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom if you need to and cry your eyes out. Fun and games are over. I mean, get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way that you'll get on your feet. It's this call. It's, it's this challenge. It's this challenge to take time for self-examination. This, time, this call and this challenge to take time with that, even if it leads to a little bit of grief or some mourning. Take time for some humility. Take the time and effort to, to really look at God and to allow God to look inside our own hearts and, and just 
maybe admit if we've gotten off track and where that is. And he gives us this this double promise at the base of it all. Right at the heart of it all. He says, listen, if you resist the devil, if you resist sin, he'll run. And if you draw near to God, well, God's going to draw near to you. Because he's just waiting. And he's longing to have this amazing friendship and relationship with you. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads at this moment where you are right now and just create a little bit of privacy for each other, a little bit of space for each other. The worship team's going to come. Our, our ministry team is going to go to their various places in the sanctuary. And we're just going to, um, we're going to, we're going to create a little bit of space for some self-examination and for God to talk to us. We're going to turn the room into a prayer room, as we say sometimes. And we're going to take some time to come close to God this morning. Just a few minutes. Because, you know, all the other practical stuff and all the other stuff that we've been talking about, if we, if we don't have it right with God and we haven't come close to God, well, then the other stuff doesn't really matter. And so we're going to just play me that chord, if you would. And so we're going to invite God into this space, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts, and then I'm just going to walk us through just a little process of just examining ourselves. And then we'll dismiss you and we'll keep this space as a prayer space and all of that. But just at this moment, quiet your own heart. God, would you bring our thoughts into line with yours? God, would you settle and quiet all the other voices that distract us and speak to us? And we just choose to open this morning to your Holy Spirit. Come, O oh God. Come, O oh God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be by your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are well. You could just have the singer's microphones on. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be your presence Lord we're just going to walk through a few steps this morning just each of us in our own space James starts off by saying surrender to God submit yourself to God and there are moments for all of us where we need to do this sometimes for the first time Sometimes we've done it many times before, but at this moment, oh God, we pause each of us and we examine our own hearts and we invite you to examine our hearts. We think about our relationships, the stuff that makes up our real life. We whisper this prayer that says, God, I submit that to you. 
I surrender that to you. It's yours. And I give all of my life to you again. Just go ahead and whisper a prayer along those lines. It's all yours, God. And then sometimes in these moments, this is when the Holy Spirit starts talking to us. And we can see something in our own hearts that is just not right. And God's going that right there. God, at this moment, we repent of those things. We repent where we've gone wrong. We choose to turn away from it. God, we ask your forgiveness the ways that we get off track, the ways that we sin, the ways that we we keep a foot in both worlds, the ways that we just, we don't wholeheartedly commit to you, God. Those things that you're pointing at and putting your finger on right now, ever so gently, we ask you to forgive those things. Would you break the power that they hold in our lives? Would you wash that away and make us new again? And would you help us, Lord, to learn what it means to resist, to push back and go, I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm resisting that, and I'm submitting to God. And then as you start just walking through that process, then James says, you know, you've you got to have humility when you're in God's presence. And humility means it's not about me, it's about God. Humility means it's not about whether I'm good enough or whether I'm too bad, it's about God. God's grace and God's mercy and God's love and God's lordship and me being a part of God's story because it's his story. So at this moment, God, we just thank you with humility saying thank you that you would bring us and make us part of your story. Thank you that it's about you. God, would you keep us in a place of healthy humility, knowing that you are God and we are not. Make us right inside. Shape us into the loving, merciful, gracious people that you've created us to be. Come, oh God. Come, oh God. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. We're going to sing that chorus once more through in just a moment. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to pray the same prayer that we pray every Sunday. I'm going to pray it over you. And I'm going to dismiss you. But we're going to keep this space as a prayer room. And if you want to receive prayer, there's ministry people in various places that will pray with you. You can stay. The worship team's going to stay for a few minutes and do some worship. And you're welcome to stay and to just let God connect with you. But just before we do that, can we just sing this one more time again and invite the Holy Spirit to fill our lives again before we leave? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fly place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence. 
God, we're bringing this service to an end this morning, and we're walking out of here as we do every time, knowing that we we carry Jesus, and we want, Lord, to walk out of here, and we want to go into our real lives and real world, and we want to carry Jesus well in all of those spaces. So God, we pray the same prayer that we do every Sunday as we, as we go to our workplaces, as we go to our families, as we go to our exams and our classes and all of that. God, would you help us to do good? And would you help us to love each other? And would you help us to reveal Jesus? Because we are people who are filled with the presence of Jesus and filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit and being shaped on the inside so that we can walk it out on the outside. Would you help us to do that well this week? God, for I pray for your blessing and your covering over every person here. We're trusting you to show us how to live our lives well for you. Keep us safe. Bring us back safely next week. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Get prayer if you want to. Stay in this space if you want to and take some time to pray. Make sure you say hi to someone on the way out. God bless you. Have a great week. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory God is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord, and Holy Spirit, you are welcome, come flood this place and fill the atmosphere, your glory God is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord, your presence.